Good morning. I invite you to sit for the gospel. It is a long one, but a wonderful one. The Holy Gospel according to John. So, Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living Water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks who drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where the people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking to a woman But no one said, What do you want with her, or why are you speaking to her? And then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. 
And she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do with the will of him who sent me and who completes his work. Do you not say four months more than the the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is ready, already receiving wages, and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Then many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I had ever done. So when the Samaritans came to them, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. It's a long one, huh? Do the kids want to come forward and have a chat? You do. All right, let's go down here. Kids? Come on, Mary. We can have a little one on one. I'm Anders. What's your name? Sam. Sam? And what's your name? Two on one, yeah. Kids, yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question. Who do you care about? My mom and your dad. Your mom and your dad. Who else? Uh, my friends. Your friends. Okay, you have to say someone that, that weren't those people. Um, the people in Japan. Wow, that's profound. Well, what I wanted to share with you was that this message that we just heard, it's kind of long, but it's a message that God is proclaiming through Jesus, which is to say that God cares about everyone. It's true. Maybe you should become a a pastor. (laughs) Um, And I brought with me a little globe here, and I keep it on my desk to remind me uh, that I'm not alone in this world and that God loves me a lot, but God loves everyone, everything in this world, just as much as God loves me. And if, and if we can remember that, it reminds us of what we're supposed to do in our lives because of what God has done for us. And that is to take that love that God has given us and to respond to the world in love. All right, so let's say a little prayer. God, you 
brought a savior for the whole world. Not just for men, not just for Christians, but a savior for the whole world. And we thank you for that immeasurable gift, for your love. And we take this love and go out into the world to love in return. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with me. Well, good morning, everybody. I, my name is Anders, and if you don't know me, I uh, am a seminarian, a divinity student at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. And this is my last year of academics. I'm on my last few weeks of school before I go on internship, which will complete my final year of studies. And I am excited to share with you that I'll be interning in Washington State uh, at Chelan Lutheran Church, which is in the middle of the state. And uh, it's a well-known place because it's also where Holden Village is. And part of my internship will be as an intern at Holden Village. So it's a very exciting thing. And uh, I wanted to say welcome to everyone, especially those visiting us this morning. And I also wanted to give a plug that uh, this Wednesday I'll be back down here but at St. Mark's Episcopal Church for Movie and Theology Night. And I'm going to go on a limb and present on the movie Inception. So if you have seen Inception, we're going to go deep. Real deep. Three layers deep. And talk about that on Wednesday. And now I'd like you, uh, if you can, to take a moment and retreat to your childhood. So if you can, close your eyes. And I want you to think for just a moment about your perception or your image of God as a child. Who or what was God to you? All right, maybe you have something. And I don't want to speak on your behalf, but my guess is that because many of us come from an Abrahamic tradition and are also products of Western culture, the image of God that we grew up with may be very similar to the image that Michelangelo shares with us in his stunning uh, work in the Sistine Chapel. And that is a giant, kind of buff, Santa Claus-looking God who might have Jesus sandals or something on and lives up in the clouds. God is a man. Now, with that image in mind, let's ask the question that the Israelites asked in our lesson, our first lesson today, which is, is this the Lord among us or not? Is this God, the God among us or not? One of my favorite professors at the GTU, Sandra Schneiders, who's a leader in Jonine Scholarship, which is a fancy way to talk about this gospel, John, has written extensively books and articles and lectures, but she's most famous for saying this. That's pretty profound. God is not two men and a bird. And we can laugh, and we should, but we also need to lament at how the Christian tradition has tragically held fast 
and in some cases continues to perpetuate theologies that uplift men and oppress women. And this morning, I'd like to take a moment to look upon this amazing and classic text in such a way that exposes the poor interpretation of the Samaritan Well narrative and uplifts another view that helps us better understand the God that is truly among us and our ability to unite with God's vision for the world. For centuries, men saturated in patriarchal religious systems within Christianity have gotten up to a pulpit like this, but this is actually an ambo. You learned that in seminary. But they've gotten up and they have shared that this story is about God forgiving a promiscuous woman. Or even worse, some interpreters have gotten up and said that this story is about a woman who's trying to seduce Jesus and Jesus' resistance of this temptation. And I'm here to tell you that is not what this text is about. I'm here to tell you that these transgressions are most likely not the fault of this woman, that she is not a five-time loser, And to go that route is to fall into the hideous age-old system of subjugating women and subordinating girls. In all likelihood, this woman's relational history has nothing to do with her. And like many women and girls of her day, she had very little choice in her relationship, when she would marry, when she would get engaged, when she would have children, The likelihood is that this woman was being passed around, misused, dumped, in incredibly victimizing ways. Her sexual rights were abused. And that happened 2,000 years ago, but it also happens today. In fact, the average age of girls who begin a life of prostitution is 12 today. And a recent study found that one girl in seven in a developing country still marries before the age of 15. And one quarter to one half of girls in developing countries become mothers before they're 18. The woman Jesus is encountering at this well is not a seducer, she is a victim. And there are millions of girls around the world who are still victimized today. And this story, the woman is still living with someone who's not her husband. She's truly a marginalized person, an outsider, and that's why she's at a well at noon. You don't go to a well at noon. You go to the well in the morning or in the evening because you're carrying a big old jar, right? It's hot. It's hard work. So if you're there in the middle of the day, the hot, sweaty part of the day, you're there because you're marginalized. And so Jesus meets her, and what does he do? Well, some say that he is exposing her sin by naming all of the many relationships that she's had, but that is not the case. What Jesus is actually doing is acknowledging and naming this woman's brokenness. For God, manifested in Jesus, 
is that which knows, remembers, abides, and grieves with us in our pain, in our loss, in our sorrows. God knows what we have gone through in our lives. God knows what it's like to be me. And in turn, the woman truly realizes that Jesus is a prophet. So she asks a question that has severed Jews and Samaritans for centuries. She asks, where is God? Is it on Mount Gezerim, the mountain of her ancestors, the Sumerian ancestors, or is God on the mountain of the Jews in Jerusalem? And what does Jesus answer? Neither. What Jesus answers is what Jesus came to proclaim. I am. And Jesus says this for the first time to a woman in this gospel. Now, some interpretations say that the woman asks this question of Jesus because she's trying to change the subject away from her relational history. But that's not right. The woman has realized that this prophet truly knows her, truly sees her, truly cares for her, and wants to know who it is that this prophet worships. What God is this that knows me and cares for me so deeply? And the answer is that this is the God of all and all, manifested in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And with this, the disciples return. And as they approach, like most of, the, of that day, were astonished to see a man speaking with a woman, and especially with a woman who was on the margins. And the woman leaves her jar. She leaves her burden. And she goes to the nearby city, empowered to share the good news. I believe, I truly believe, this encounter may not only highlight the central message in the Gospel of John, but the central message of the Incarnation. God came to pour out God's self to us so that we may encounter God's love, to encounter this living water, and be empowered to respond freely with our own love for the world and for our neighbor. This is at the heart of our Lutheran theology. But what I believe is central, especially in this story, is that God did not come to save Jesus' disciples or men with long beards or pastors or seminarians in white robes. God came to proclaim this love for all in all, for men, for women, for boys, for girls, for Samaritans, for Jews, and especially for those who are oppressed and on the margins and who have been victims of the dominant social structures of our culture. God's love is for all in all. 
And I think this is understood because the disciples come to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, eat something. And Jesus says, I have no need for food. My food has to do with the will of him who sent me to, to complete God's work. And in this moment, this encounter with this woman, I am truly filled. Because Jesus came as a savior for the world, and when the news is understood, God is filled. Filled because we are filled with the living water. Filled because we are united with God. And filled because we are going out to respond to God's vision for the world. And so I leave you with the question that the Israelites gave us. Is this the God that is among us? And if it is, then what is it that you need to leave behind in those vessels? At the well. And how is God empowering you to share in God's vision for the justice of the world? Amen.